This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. In these uncertain times, which are so filled with fear, there's nothing more important for us as followers of Jesus than to keep our eyes firmly fixed on him, the Good Shepherd. And we need to remind ourselves now more than ever of his compassion for the suffering, for the grieving, and the power of Jesus over all things, including death itself. And so let's turn to the Word of God to see what the Holy Spirit has to speak to our souls today. We're turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Listen to the Word of God. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, Nain had always been a sleepy little town, and these days it's known by its Arabic name of Nain, Nain with an E, and there's not much to it even now. No supermarket, not even a gas station. It's a quiet town, not a place where great crowds gather or great things happen. And most travelers who come through this town are on their way to bigger places down the road. But even a small town of 200 people has its stories, and has its tragedies. And here in Luke chapter 7, and just seven verses, Luke's pen gives us the most economical, compressed version of this tragic stories. But the details he gives us sketch a picture of a woman who has lost everything. Years ago, a boy and a girl had grown up together, and they'd gotten married. And like every couple does, they had dreams of building a life together, a future for themselves, starting a family. But it seems like getting pregnant hadn't been easy for the two of them. And we can only imagine the heartaches of failure and miscarriage that they went through. And in the end, no doubt after many prayers, the woman was finally able to conceive. And for nine months, she cherished that precious little life within her. And at last, she was able to hand a son into the arms of his father. And her and her husband's love expanded to include this little boy. Their work in the home and in the field and in the village took on fresh joy and meaning because now their family had a future, something they could build towards and save towards and put their hope in. And then something 
bad had happened. Her husband died. And he must have been in the prime of life, but still, he died. And his widow must have been heartbroken, but she knew she had to remain strong for her son. And the worst part wasn't even the funeral. It was the long days and weeks afterwards. But somehow, they got through it together, mother and son. Somehow, they drew strength from each other's companionship and nearness. And whenever this woman looked at her son, she saw in his face the reflection of her own husband, the man that she had loved so much. And now, the dreams that the couple had shared for their son now became her single focus and burden. And over the years, the boy turned into a young man. And for him, the innocence of boyhood had vanished quickly. He had new responsibilities as the man of the house, and they had matured him quickly. And he was a fine young man. He wasn't like some of the troublemakers in the village. A fine young man, and a young man who required a fine young woman worthy of him. And I'm sure his mother broached the subject with the older woman in the village, and many hours were spent weighing and discussing suitable candidates, and soon, perhaps, negotiations would commence. Now, they were a poor family, but things needed to be done properly. Her son deserved it. It was her only child, after all. And the mother had secretly been putting aside money for a wedding, a little bit at a time, a little coin here and a little coin there. And she imagined the joy of his marriage and a new daughter coming to join the household. And then, not long after that, the house would be filled with the laughter of her grandchildren. And then tragedy struck again. One day her son came home from work early. He was feeling unwell, a little headache, a little fever. But he didn't recover quickly like he always did. And for a long time he lingered, fevered and delirious. And no one knew what was wrong. And after a week the mother's concern became very grave, and she spent the secret wedding savings to bring in the doctor from the big town a few miles away. But even this big doctor couldn't figure out what was wrong either. All this woman had left was God. She prayed. She prayed like she had never prayed before. Whole nights she spent pleading, begging, bargaining with God. But all her prayers were for nothing. And one morning she woke up and she went first thing like she always did to check on her sick boy. He was already cold and her own heart stopped. Everything was a blur. The neighbors came. Um, the heat meant that the body would start decomposing quickly and the funeral had to happen today immediately. And refusing all offers of help, she closed his eyes herself. She tied the cloth around his head to keep his mouth clothes, she washed and anointed his body, and she wrapped him up in the long strips of cloth in which he would be buried. And then some of the village men had come into the little house, they'd hoisted her son's body onto a board, and the procession began to move slowly out of the courtyard. His mother led the way, as was traditional, and her choking sobs turned into a loud, keening wail a wail of grief and total desperation. 
the cry of a shattered woman, an orphaned parent whose one joy had been cruelly stamped out. But as the procession went through the streets and passed through the little gate leading out of the village toward the cemetery, they saw an even larger crowd coming up the, war- the road toward them under the late afternoon sun. And this crowd has been walking all day, following a wonder worker named Jesus of Nazareth. Now, they weren't sure what to make of his teaching. There was something about the words that this Jesus spoke that stirred and drew their hearts, but that also made them deeply uncomfortable. But the miracles, there was no denying the miracles. They were something to see. And that very morning, in fact, Jesus had healed the servant of a Roman centurion of all people. And he hadn't even needed to go to the house. He'd just spoken the word. And the crowd buzzed with the news that the servant was already up, out of bed, washing the windows. And that was in Capernaum. That was 25 miles down the road behind him. They've been walking all day. They're about to go through Nay in this little village. But now the gate ahead of them is blocked by what is obviously a funeral procession. And the crowd immediately moves to the grass at the edge of the road because funerals always have priority. And the rabbis say that a funeral is even more important than studying the law because death must be respected. But to their surprise, Jesus does not move to the side. He keeps on walking and his eyes are locked on this woman at the head of the procession. Now, this is not a woman he's ever met before. It's the first time he's laid eyes on her. But as he looks at this devastated, shattered woman, woman, his her grief pierces his own heart like an arrow. And he's moved with compassion at the depths of his being. Of course, no one watching knows what's going on inside Jesus, the feelings welling up within his own heart. But they watch him, and they watch him walk straight up to this wailing woman. He stands right in front of her. He looks her in the eye, and he tells her, don't cry. And I can imagine the disciples exchanging horrified glances because there are a lot of stupid and insensitive things that people say to those lost in grief. But telling a grieving person, don't cry, might be the stupidest and most insensitive thing to say. Unless you immediately follow it with what Jesus is about to do. Because after speaking to this woman, he does something even more surprising. He walks past her to the pallbearers. And he leans forward and he deliberately places his hand on the wooden plank on which the body rests. And everyone draws in their breath because the rabbi has just made himself ritually unclean. Now, there's a long list of things in the Old Testament that make you unclean. But at the very top of that list are things to do with death. If you touch a corpse or a coffin, or a beer, you contract spiritual defilement. And you need to go into self-isolation for days so that you don't start contaminating 
other people in your family or in your neighborhood. Now, of course, when someone died, it was unavoidable that some people became contaminated. The family, the neighbors had to help with uh, cleaning and anointing the body, with wrapping it up and taking it to the graveyard and burying it. But of course, common sense meant limiting the number of those people. No other villager, and certainly no random passerby, would walk up and put their hand on a beer. And when Jesus does this, the bearers stop in their tracks, and they stand very still. The procession behind them stops. Something very strange is happening. Something totally outside standard funeral protocol. And Jesus leans over the cloth-wrapped corpse, and both crowds are dead silent. And then Jesus speaks, not to the woman and not to the crowd. He begins speaking to the lifeless corpse. Young man, I say to you, get up. And for the briefest of moments, nothing happens. And then the cloth stirs and the corpse sits straight upright. The crowd gasps and edges back and the mother clutches her heart and there are muffled sounds within the cloth. Is he trying to talk? A couple brave souls dart forward and they rip the cloth open and it's the young man. He's looking around, he's talking, he's perfectly well. But no one remembers what he said because a huge uproar breaks out. Jesus reaches out his hand, helps him off the board, brings him to his mother, and puts his hand in the hand of the woman who thought she had lost her son. And then Jesus moves on. And this time, the funeral procession steps aside for him. And everyone who witnessed this is filled with awe with a holy fear. It's wonderful, of course, and there is rejoicing, but also everyone's aware that the holy power of God has been moving among them. And spontaneous worship and praise breaks out. A great prophet has appeared among us, they say to each other. God has come to help his people. Now, this is a wonderful little story that Luke has related in only seven verses. In fact, it's one of only three stories in the Gospels of Jesus raising the dead. There's the story of Jairus and his daughter, his sick daughter that Jesus raises from the dead. And of course, Lazarus, who's called forth from the tomb. But how might this particular passage stir our own faith in these dark times? How might the Holy Spirit be speaking to us? I just want to highlight three wonderful truths about Jesus for our own souls today. Number one, Christ has compassion toward human suffering. Christ has compassion towards human suffering. And the gospel describes a range of Jesus' emotions, but the emotion that the gospel writers tell us the most about is his compassion. The whole heart of Jesus goes out to this poor woman And not just to her, but to everyone who suffers and who grieves. You see, the whole mission of Jesus is a mission 
of compassion. It's God entering into the pain of humanity. God isn't cold and aloof, sitting back, saying, well, this is your problem, this is your mess, you guys deal with it yourself. No. Psalm 103 says that God knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're only dust. And he's filled with fatherly compassion toward his children. And as this pandemic sweeps the world and the cases mount and the death toll rises, we need to know that the heart of God goes out in compassion and in pity to the human race. Now, there's something unusual about this miracle, this raising of the dead young man. You notice, if you look back at the story again, there's no one who demonstrates great faith, no one who falls on their knees and cries out, Son of David, have mercy on us. No one asks Jesus to raise this young man from the dead. No one even suggests it. Because no one needs to push or pull Jesus with their requests in order to get him to act. Our own misery goes straight to the heart of Jesus, and it disturbs him to see tears on our faces. God has visited his people. The villagers were right. God has shown up on the scene more deeply and more profoundly than they knew, because in Jesus, God has become a human being. He fully shares in our condition. He becomes our true brother, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Here's lesson number two for us today. Christ's voice is stronger than death. I think the meeting of these two crowds is highly symbolic. It's a dramatic encounter because here's death leading one procession. One more in a long list of triumphs for death over the thousands of years. It has had power over the human race. And it has dragged hundreds of thousands and hundreds of millions of people to the dark regions below. And here is just one more helpless human being under the curse. But not today, because today something is standing in the way of death. A second procession has arrived. A procession led by life itself. And life is not stepping aside today. Hundreds of years earlier, God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah with this promise. This is from Isaiah chapter 25. The Lord will swallow up death forever, and he will wipe away the tears from all faces. In the ministry of Jesus, we see these things start coming to pass. And when he goes up to this woman and he says, don't cry. It's the promise of God coming true. Death is our enemy, but it's not just the enemy of humanity. Death is the enemy of God himself. It's a foreigner. It's a stranger. It's an intruder that has broken into God's good creation and is devastating and destroying. And I think even if we're not religious, we all instinctively feel that sickness and disease and viruses and pandemics, they're somehow wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be, and we can't just accept them with good grace. God feels the same way, and now he has visited his people, 
and the Son of God has arrived on the scene to put things right. In the presence of Jesus, the corpse bearers stand still. They're stopped in their tracks. And with his voice alone, Christ calls life into this dead body. If you know your Old Testament very well, this story might bring some echoes into your mind. There's a very similar story in the life of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. Elijah, too, arrives in a city. He meets a widow at the gate. Her son dies, and Elijah brings him to life. But Elijah does not have the power to bring that boy to life with his mere word alone. He has to stretch forth his body over the boy's body. He has to cry out to God three times. And the prophet needs to agonize and wrestle in order for God to raise this boy from the dead. That's not the case with Jesus. He's a great prophet, but he's greater than the greatest of prophets because with his words alone, not with a prayer to God, but with his own command, Jesus brings this young man to life. Just like at creation, when God with his word alone caused the universe to spring into being, Jesus of Nazareth, with his word alone, calls forth life from the very dead. Now, Jesus in Luke has already demonstrated his authority over disease. It's just happened in Capernaum with the servant of the Roman centurion. But we need to know that the authority of Jesus does not stop at the frontier of death. There's no barrier and there's no boundary that says Jesus is not allowed past this point. It turns out that with Jesus, death is not the end. And death does not get the last word. The word of Jesus is stronger still. And it penetrates down into the gloomy silence of the grave and summons this dead person back to the land of the living. Now, this story and the story of the daughter of Jairus and the story of Lazarus are not stories of resurrection. They're stories of resuscitations. Here's the difference. When you're resuscitated, you still have to die again. It might be years later, but you still have to die. You have not yet received the immortal body of the resurrection. In these three cases, death is delayed, but it's not totally defeated. It's going to get its claws back into these people and into all of us again. The curse behind death is sin. Sin needs to be dealt with for the curse to be broken. And the only way for that to happen is for the Son of God to die himself. So here's my third and last point. Christ made contact with death in order to defeat it. There's this symbolism of Jesus leaning out and touching this wooden plank on which the corpse is born. He lays his hand on the beer, and when he does that, he's allowing the curse and the corruption and the decay of death to touch him, to defile him. In order to defeat death, Jesus makes contact with it. The curse of death 
cannot just be dealt with by a mere word. Jesus needs to take it on his own shoulders and go down into the grave himself. And in his love and his compassion and his pity for the helpless, suffering human race, he does so. He dies on the cross, bearing our sins on his shoulders. And then Jesus himself is borne away on a plank, anointed, wrapped in cloth, and put into his own grave. And he descends to the realm of the dead. In just a few short weeks, it's going to be Easter. I don't know how we're going to celebrate it, but we're going to celebrate. Because death cannot hold Jesus. He doesn't stay in the grave. He breaks the power of death and he rises again to new and indestructible life. Not a resuscitation, a resurrection, because death no longer has any power over Jesus. And not just over Jesus, but over anyone who puts their faith in him and follows Christ as their Savior and Lord. The resurrection is promised to us as well. So here we stand. We're helpless in the face of death. That's coming for us. And it's coming for those we love. It might be COVID-19. It might be something else. But death is going to get all of us eventually. We're not invincible And you need to know that being a Christian does not make you immune from participating in the suffering of the human race. There's no promise that this is not going to touch us and affect us. In our story, the young man died. And perhaps some of us or some of those we love, those we're connected to, are going to die as well. And in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, Jesus may allow that. But our hope extends beyond the borders of death. And when all seems lost, and when all prayers seem useless, Jesus Christ is going to speak the word of command and raise us from the dead. It's true, we don't know what's coming for us. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming days and weeks and months. Our world is going to change. All the old certainties are gone, and everything we've trusted in is crumbling around us. But here's what we do know. In life or in death, we belong to Christ. And he has authority over death, and he's holding on to us as our good shepherd. And may the Holy Spirit give us the grace in these dark times to live like those who have put their entire hope in the life-giving power of Jesus. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Heavenly Father, you are God who has pity and compassion on all he has made, and especially on those who fear and trust you. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Remember the suffering of humanity, our fear, our grief, our worries, We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak again to our own hearts in a way that we've never heard before, perhaps, that Jesus is king, that the Lion of Judah has conquered 
that he has the keys of death and the grave on his belt. And help us to walk in faith and in hope, in holy fear and even in worship during these times. And may the fame of Jesus go from us as witnesses into this whole country and into this whole world. In his powerful, life-giving name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.